Please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verse 19 through 21 today. And the message of 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 19 through 21 really is very simply it will go well with you if you pay attention to the Old Testament. And so we're going to be talking this morning about paying attention to the Old Testament. In fact, one of the reasons why I had the passage that we just read together read is because it emphasizes the consequences that came upon Old Testament Israel, both the northern tribes and the southern tribes, when they failed to pay attention to the words of the prophets, when they failed to pay attention to the words of the Old Testament. Well, let me put first Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 19 through 21 in its context in Second Peter. We've said that Second Peter is all about growth in the Christian life, and Peter's been talking to us uh, since about verse 12 about how important reminder and recall are to Christian growth. We must hear the same things, and we must hear them again, and we must hear them again. And Peter has especially pointed our attention to the sum of the message of the Scriptures and the message of the Gospel, and that message is found in the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ. The summary of the gospel is the message of the power and the coming and the majesty of Jesus Christ. That's what the whole Bible is really all about. And this is the message that we need to keep hearing and we need to be reminded of. And we need to be able to recall at any time. We need to be able to recall at any time the power of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. His power over the dominion of sin is what we ought to be thinking of when we think of the power of Christ. We ought to be able to recall at any time the coming of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter here in this particular text has in mind particularly and especially the second coming of Jesus Christ. But recall, brothers and sisters, that we can't think of the second coming of Jesus Christ without having in mind his first coming. And the whole idea of Christ's coming was that he might in his first coming bear the wrath of God and in his second coming bring the judgment of God, having been qualified to bring that judgment. And that is a wonderful message for us if we trust in Jesus Christ because in His first coming He came to bear the wrath of God in judgment on behalf of His people as a substitutionary atoning sacrifice. And that means that when He comes again in His second coming to bring judgment to the wicked and to the unbelieving, He's also going to bring vindication and final justification and acquittal in His second coming for those who have trusted in Him. And this is the message of the Gospel. The power of Christ over sin. Confidence in Christ in judgment. The coming of Christ. And of course, the majesty of Jesus Christ. And the majesty of Christ is nothing less than the beauty of the holiness of the Trinitarian life and love that He lives and that He lives out in His flesh and even in His exaltation that we are to imitate and that we're being conformed into the image of, the image of His life and love and Trinitarian fellowship and communion. And this is the message of the gospel, the power and the coming and the majesty of Christ. We can look at it a different way. The message of the gospel is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel is the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And the message of the gospel is his ascension and his current rule and reign that goes along with that idea. This is the message that Peter is preaching to us. This is the message that we need to be hearing again and again, that we must be able to recall at any time. And today in our passage, as Peter is developing this thought in his letter, he gets to the point where he tells us that what this means for us is that we must pay attention to the Old Testament prophecies. And his point is, is because those Old Testament prophecies are also pointing us to and preaching to us this same message, the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is proclaiming to us and giving us insight and wisdom into this message that Jesus Christ has come in power, He is coming again, and He is full of the majesty of the Lord. It's preaching to us the message of Jesus Christ's resurrection, exaltation, and ascension. And it will go well with us if we pay attention to this message as it is contained and as it is found in the writings of the Old Testament. And so Peter is pointing us to this glorious idea, very simple idea, but very necessary idea that essential to Christian growth is learning to pay attention to the Old Testament prophets. 
learning to pay attention to the Old Testament and the Old Testament message and learning to see Christ there and learning to see the gospel there. We have a lot of things to say about that today. So look with me at the text. Look at how Peter puts this in verse 19 through 21. He says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. I like the way the New King James Version puts this. Let me read that for you very quickly. It says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. Now you have to understand what Peter is doing here in this phrase. He's transitioning from what he had just been talking about in verse 16 through 18, where he had briefly gone over with us the message of the transfiguration. Peter was with Christ on the holy mountain. He saw an apocalyptic revelation of the resurrected, exalted, and ascended Lord. And now he's telling us that in that transfiguration, in that vision that he saw and that he heard when he was with Jesus on the mountain, in that transfiguration, we have the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. We have the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament was speaking to us about and that the writings of the Old Testament prophets were witnessing to the power and the coming and the majesty of Jesus Christ. We have the prophetic word fulfilled. They were speaking to it before Christ came, and they were pointing to Christ. But Peter is saying now that the transfiguration has occurred and it's been fulfilled in Christ's resurrection, exaltation, and ascension, we have a fulfillment of everything that was predicted by the Old Testament prophets. And we have this prophetic word, he says then, more fully confirmed. We have it fulfilled. To which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. And that's an interesting thing for Peter to say. He calls the Old Testament a light, a lamp that shines in a dark place. It shines in the dark place of this world. It shines in the dark place of our own hearts as we deal with remaining sin. And it's able, Peter is saying, to dispel that darkness. It's able to bring light into our life. It's able to bring light into our hearts until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, until you are conformed to the same image that those Old Testament Scriptures were pointing to, until you are conformed into the very image of the power, coming, and majesty of Christ, until you are conformed to the image of His resurrection, His exaltation, and His ascension. We have the fulfillment of the prophetic word. You will do well, it will go well with you, Peter says, to pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place until that light, that day dawns and that morning star rises in your own hearts. Knowing this, first of all, verse 20, he says, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation It doesn't come from the explanation or the understanding or the agenda or the desires of any human being is what he means there. Verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. No scripture was produced by the desire of a human being or the desires of human beings. But men spoke from God as they were carried along. By the Holy Spirit, the Old Testament Scriptures is nothing less than the very Word of God Himself. It's the revelation of God and the revelation of His will for us. And so Peter is telling us, vital to Christian growth is that we pay attention to those Old Testament Scriptures and that we learn to pay attention to those Old Testament Scriptures until we are conformed to the same image uh, that they uh, are testifying and witnessing to in our own lives. So it's a, be- it's a beautiful message. It's a simple message. It's not a message that's new to any of us. All of us know that the Old Testament points us to Christ. And all of us know that the Old Testament speaks to us of the ascension of Christ, of His glory and His victory. And all of us know that we're being conformed to that same image. And yet we must be reminded and we must hear it again and we must be stirred up and exhorted to these things. And today I want us to give special care and attention to it. So I'm going to break up this sermon into three points. We can break... The text, verse 19 mainly, but also verse 20 and 21 included in it, into three parts. And we can understand this passage three ways. First of all, Peter is telling us that we must pay attention to the Old Testament because, and he gives us a reason, and that reason is is that it's the same message of the New Testament gospel. It's not any different. It's the message of the victory of Jesus Christ. 
We must pay attention to the Old Testament because, number one. Number two, we must pay attention to the Old Testament indeed. That means we have to put our hand to the plow. We're going to be talking about that uh, in large part in our sermon today. Lots of practical things to talk about today. We must pay attention to the Old Testament because we must pay attention to the Old Testament indeed. And then finally, we must pay attention to the Old Testament until until we are conformed to the image of the one that it witnesses to and testifies to, until we are conformed to the same image of glory. And so, number one, we must pay attention to the Old Testament because, and we must pay attention to the Old Testament because it is the same message of the, as the New Testament. It's the same message as the transfiguration. It's the same message. It's of our risen Lord. That's the message of the Old Testament. The power and the coming and the majesty of Christ. His power over the dominion of sin. His coming, first to bear judgment, second to bring judgment for the good of His people. And the message of His majesty, His light and love, His holiness, His purity and Trinitarian fellowship. It's the message of resurrection. It's the message of exaltation. It's the message of ascension. Peter is saying to us in some ways, if you weren't there for the transfiguration, you have the Old Testament to tell you what it was all about and what we saw on that mountain. The Old Testament witnesses to power coming in majesty. It witnesses to resurrection, exaltation, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. But I would remind you, brothers and sisters, that a resurrection implies a death There's no such thing as a rising from the dead unless you first die. And so the message of the Old Testament is that the eternal, majestic Son of God, who is the very definition of life, the source of all being in life, was willing to die on behalf of His people. And He conquered death because He's the everlasting one. And He is raised from the dead. Brothers, that's the message of the Old Testament. Peter's telling us you would do wise to pay attention to that message from those Old Testament prophets, from that Old Testament Scripture. The message of Christ in the Old Testament is the message of His exaltation. But of course, that implies, brothers, don't forget, that there's no exaltation without first humiliation. The One who is exalted, who sits on the throne of God from forever, before the worlds were made, humbled Himself for a moment, and has served the people of God out of a heart of love for them, and has returned to His glory and His exaltation and great victory and great power. Exaltation implies humiliation. That's the message of the Old Testament. Peter is saying we must pay attention to this message in those Old Testament Scriptures. The exaltation of our Lord Jesus Christ and ascension. Ascension, you know, implies descension. No one ascends unless they first descend. No one ascends into heaven unless they first descend to the earth, especially when we're thinking of Christ, who is already the ascended Lord from all eternity, who is one with His Father, who has all glory and power. And He set that all aside. He set aside His glory and His majesty, and He took upon Himself the form of a servant, and He descended into the lower parts of the earth, and He bore in His own body the afflictions and the difficulties and the temptations and the sufferings of His people. And the One who did this because He is God is the One who has now ascended above all things in power and majesty and glory. And this is the message that the Old Testament is preaching, and it's the message that Peter is preaching, and it's the message that we must be able to recall at any time. We must be able to recall the message of the power and the coming and the majesty of our Lord, His resurrection, exaltation, and His ascension. And we must remember the the lesson that it is teaching us, the pattern that Christ is setting down for us, brothers and sisters, because it becomes the pattern that we're to follow. Christ, from a position of glory that He receives everlasting from the Father, set aside His glory and humiliation for a moment, in service to you, so that He might bring you together with Himself into the glory that He had with the Father before the worlds began, so that as you receive the glory that Christ gives to you in the Gospel, you might have strength and power to humble yourselves and to serve one another and to bear the afflictions that God brings into your life in service to Him. 
so that with Christ you might enter into His glory, enter into His resurrection, to the likeness of His death and the likeness of His resurrection, so that you might enter with Christ into the likeness of His exaltation, the likeness of His humiliation for the people of God and His exaltation to the Father's right hand, and so that you might share with Christ in His ascension, His descension, in the afflictions and the sufferings and the sorrows that He bore for a moment, and the ascension and the glory that He experiences forever and ever together with the Father and with all of the people of God. This is the pattern of the Scriptures. Now, I want to show this to you. I mentioned this last week, but I didn't show it to you. Turn with me really quickly to John chapter 12. You see, we preach this message, brothers and sisters, because it's the image that we ourselves are being conformed to. I know that might be a mouthful for some of you, but this is what the Scriptures teach us. This is why this message is so vital and so important. And it's essentially the message of the Old Testament. But let's look at John for a moment. We're going to look at a couple of places in John. We're going to look at John 12 and John 13. There's amazing words here. There's a lot to say. But what I want you to see is this pattern that Christ lays down for us and how He turns it into an example for us. And I want you to see that very clearly from the Scriptures. John chapter 12, verse 27. Here's Jesus speaking with His disciples and there's crowds around Him. He says, Now is my soul troubled. He's coming up on His crucifixion. It's but days away. He says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. There you see, Jesus begins with glory, and He ends with glory. And in the meantime, He has a calling that He must fulfill in the crucifixion. There's our pattern. From a position of glory, He humbles Himself for our sakes. The crowd that stood there, verse 20, uh, verse 29, the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered, that voice. So others said an angel had spoken to Him. Verse 30, Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Here we have the message of the, of the resurrection and ascension of our Lord. The one who is the Lord of glory. Set aside that glory for a moment. Humbled himself in order to return to glory and bring all people to Himself together with Him to share in that same glory. But then notice where He takes this and applies it to us just in the next chapter, chapter 13. Just a few verses down, and there's so much that we could say on those same verses and on the verses that come after them. But we're going to look down into John chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. Now notice what He does here. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray Him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God, and was going back to God. There again, we see this pattern. From glory to glory. Verse 4, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now skip down. To verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, remembering where I come from and remembering where I'm going, humbled myself to serve you for a moment. You also ought to wash one another's feet. 
For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. But there we see very clearly the practical meaning of this message of Christ's resurrection, exaltation, and ascension. We are to imitate him in this. What great, wonderful majesty, what great, wonderful glory, brothers, we have received by faith in Jesus Christ. That we know it. We've been liberated from judgment. We have confidence in the day of judgment. We have the certificate, the right to call ourselves children of God. We are sons of liberty in Christ Jesus. We have the Spirit of Christ living and dwelling within us. And Christ has done all of this for us. And the hope of glory besides in Christ has done all of this for us so that we might be strengthened to serve one another, to humble ourselves out of love as Christ did for us, as He has met our greatest need, which was to be saved from our sins and from ourselves. We might imitate Him in small ways, in whatever ways He has called us to, to suffer in this life and to become servants to one another, to meet one another's needs in service to God and service to one another, in the hope then of returning back to Him and with Him in glory, with the glory that we have with Him in the gospel already, and even greater measures of that glory, and together then with each other as we embrace one another in this kind of service, in this kind of love. Now that's a mouthful, but that's the pattern that we're given. Christian service. And so Peter is emphasizing to us very strongly in 2 Peter, vital to Christian growth is that we hold on to this message of Christ's resurrection, exaltation, and ascension, of His power, His coming, and His majesty. And the point that he's making in this particular text is that this is the message of the Old Testament prophets. It's the same message as the Old Testament. It's no different there. And we must pay attention to it as it's found in the Old Testament. Look again at what he says in verse 19. We must pay attention to these things. We must pay attention because it's the same message as the New Testament. And we must pay attention to it in fact and in deed. Look at verse 19. We have this prophetic word more fully confirmed. This message of Christ's glory. To which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. He's thinking about the Old Testament prophets here. We must pay attention to it. He calls it a light and a lamp. It's a light and a lamp in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. But notice what he says there. You will do well to pay attention to it. Now, I know, brothers and sisters, that you love the Old Testament. I don't think I've ever talked to a a believer who will testify and say there isn't something about the Old Testament that they just love. They adore it. Maybe a few people will say, oh, I don't know if I like the Old Testament. But a lot of the Christians I've talked to have said that they love the Old Testament. I know that I love the Old Testament. But it's hard to pay attention to it. And I want to spend some time in our sermon talking about why the the Old Testament is difficult to pay attention to. And we're going to learn some things as we do this. I think the problem is, is that Christians often don't know how to pay attention to the Old Testament. There's a part of the Old Testament that seems dark. And hard to see. We we are a little surprised when Peter says it's a light shining in a dark place. We think of the New Testament as light. We think of the the Old Testament as darkness. We think of it as only shadow and type. But brothers, the New Testament teaches us that the light, that the, the New Testament is a light and its purpose is to shine on the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the Old Testament was dark, but now that we're in the New Testament, the New Testament becomes like a light that shines on the Old Testament. And what the New Testament does is it helps us to know how to read the Old Testament. And so that's why Peter's pointing us to the Old Testament. In light of Christ's transfiguration, in light of His ascension and His glory, we can see absolutely clearly like a blazing sun the beauties and the glories and the intricacies of who Christ really is more than we could ever see Him before in the Old Testament. There's a sense in which Christ's coming uh, and the New Testament Scriptures illumine the Old Testament. And the Old Testament then teaches us things about Christ that we don't see in the New Testament. We can only find them in the Old Testament. Depths and riches and intricacies and details of who our Savior is and who we've been called to be in Him that we could not see apart from the New Testament, but the New Testament exists so that we can see them where they belong in the Old Testament. Do you understand what I'm saying? So Peter's pointing our attention to the Old Testament, to the Old Testament prophets. 
We don't know how to pay attention to the Old Testament prophets, and we forget to pay attention to the Old Testament prophets. And part of the reason for this is we're surrounded by material in the world around us, and sometimes even from good men and sources that we consider trustworthy that darken and cloud the Old Testament. And so part of my objective this morning is to help uh, to teach you a little bit, to, to guide you, and to at least lay down some big starting principles. I can't be exhaustive in this. And looking into the Old Testament scriptures and paying attention in such a way that it will go well for us. So I've got about, I don't know, five or six things to cover here. It's going to uh, consist of most of the rest of the sermon. They're going to begin practically. This is, kind of a, this is almost like a Bible study. And so I'm going to ask you to pay attention to what I'm saying and to follow me on this. And we're going to start with, with practical advice on how to read the Old Testament. It's going to be a little tedious, but we're going to get into some more interesting topics as we go. And we're going to make our final point uh, from there. So reasons why we have trouble paying attention to the Old Testament. I'm going to start very practically. And the first reason we have trouble paying attention to the Old Testament is because we tend to read translations that are obscure. We don't read clear and clean modern translations. Now, that's very practical, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But uh, you need to know the translations that are out there. You need to know their strengths and weaknesses. And I highly recommend to you that you find a translation that's readable. And Christians make this mistake. They try to go to the King James Version and read the Old Testament, right? I mean, you're just adding obscurity on top of obscurity. <laughs> Don't do that. Find a good modern translation that's readable. And I recommend the ESV. Um, I'm not saying you need to read the ESV. If you like the New King James Version, use that. I think the New King James Version is not very readable in the Old Testament. And the reason I think that is because it's a translation of 400-year-old English. But my, my, what I encourage you is whatever translation you decide on, make sure you can understand the translation. Make sure it's readable. That's number one. Very practical advice. Let's move on to number two. Number two is uh, the reason why Christians have trouble paying attention to the Old Testament is because they tend to read it verse by verse or chapter by chapter. And what I mean by that is they take tiny chunks and they stop there. They put down their Bibles. And I know that you're pressed for time and that may be something that you do by necessity. Again, very practical advice, but when you're reading the Old Testament, I really strongly want to encourage you most of the Old Testament is narrative or it's prophecy. And oftentimes those prophets are developing large arguments, large complicated arguments. And if you want to follow them, you have to dedicate yourself some time to sit down and read them. And going verse by verse isn't going to help you very much. <laughs> you're, going to, you're going to lose track of what the author is saying. You're going to get lost in what's being said. The Old Testament is not hard to follow, but you have to, you have to read it for, in the way that it was written. It's written in narrative. So oftentimes you have to take multiple chapters at once, is what that really boils down to. You have to take big chunks. And if you can, if you can find the time for it and dedicate and commit yourself to it, in some cases read entire books together. Let me give you just some examples of this. When I was preaching in the spring and we were going through the Old Testament and we were in Exodus, uh, many of you came to me and said, I, I don't think I ever realized that Exodus chapter 19 and Exodus chapter 20 go together. <laughs> I know some of you said that to me. More than, more than one of you said that to me. You just never put those pieces together. Well, the reason why you never put those pieces together is because you've never read the book of Exodus. You've never really paid attention to what Moses is trying to say in the book of Exodus. So you've got to read the book of Exodus. If you're going to read the Old Testament, make sure that you read it the way that it's written. And that means usually large passages at once. If you'll remember, there was even one place in that series. We took Exodus chapter 21 through 31, because it all goes together. It's all one train of thought, and you're going to miss it if you don't read it together. Now, that's a big chunk, and I know that you're pressed for time in many cases, but this will help you. It's just practical advice. I was reading this week, Jeremiah chapter 28, and the question that he raises in Jeremiah 28, or that is raised implicitly in the text, isn't fully answered until Jeremiah 33. Huge, five chapters at least. You've got to read big chunks. The Pentateuch itself is another example. When I say the Pentateuch, of course, I mean Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You understand that all five of those books are written by Moses. Those are the books of Moses. And you have to understand that Moses is developing an argument in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 
if you read it just a little here and a little there, you're going to miss what, what Moses is saying. You're going to miss the message that God is preaching in the Old Testament. And of course, Jesus tells us that the message in the Old Testament is Christ. And so if, he, if you're not reading the book, you're going to miss that what Moses is telling us is the, uh, the, in Genesis is the promise of Christ. In Exodus, the divinity of Christ, the great I Am, and His glorious works of redemption. You're going to miss the calling of Christ as priest and sacrifice in Leviticus. You're going to miss the temptations and the sufferings of Christ and the wanderings in the wilderness of Numbers. And you're going to miss the righteousness of Christ and the holiness of Christ, that He is in Himself our justification, but also He communicates to us as a rule of life, as we're being conformed to the image of His righteousness in our own life. You're going to miss the point that Moses is making if you don't read it broadly. And you get some guidance on it. And so those are my first two pieces of advice. People have trouble reading the Old Testament. Because first of all, they don't read readable translations. Very practical. And secondly, they don't read it in large chunks. And so they lose track of what is being said. What the argument is. And it's important that you do that. Number three, we have trouble paying attention to the Old Testament. Because we live in a world that influences us for the worst. We live in a postmodern world. I want you to follow with me what I'm saying here. You live in a world, and this would not be true for necessarily for all Christians in all ages, but it certainly is true in our age, and we need to be aware of it. We live in a postmodern world. And what that means is, is you live in a world that severs the written word or even the spoken word from reality. And that's important. And you might immediately say when I make it that clear to you that no one should ever do that. No one should ever sever word from reality. And you immediately recognize as believers that the Bible teaches something differently than that. But these are the waters that you swim in. You're not fully aware all the time. This is the air that you breathe in your culture. There's a separation in our culture. There's a systemic and systematic uh, uh, project to teach you and to train you to sever the word from reality. This is devastating. You can see this in many places in our culture. When you hear people say something like, you can make your own truth. Or even more importantly, you can speak your own truth. You're seeing evidence of this all around you. Our culture has done this. There's a systemic project, a systematic attempt to do this in the schools and in the universities. You can find this. I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail. This is especially, you can, see this, you can see this even in the generations that are coming up. And the unbelievers that are around us in the world that we live in. They are untethered from reality. They're taught to think this way. They live in a fantasy world. <laughs> they live separated from reality. And it's causing severe problems for them. They are not grounded they're having, they're having mental disease because what they think and what's true don't correspond to one another. And they've been taught to think this way. They've been taught to believe this. They've been taught to think that they can make their own destiny and make their own truth. They've been taught, in other words, to separate the word from reality. And it has a terrible effect. It's devastating. It leads someone to despair. It leads someone to confusion, to perplexity. It leaves their head spinning. It can have an isolating effect on a person. And there's Christians who go along with this to some degree. And it gets into the church in many ways. Now, I'm saying all of this because the Bible teaches the exact opposite thing. In fact, Peter is making this point in the text that we're in. The Bible everywhere roots the word in reality. There's not just a consistency theory of truth where what's spoken has to be consistent, but there's a correspondence theory of truth that what is written corresponds to the reality. And the Bible helps us to think this way and to understand this. And this will be very helpful for many of you if you'll give your attention to it. The Bible appeals to eyewitness testimony. And people who try to undermine eyewitness testimony do not realize that they have been sucked into the very thing that I've been speaking to you about. They have, they're, they're fundamentally working on a principle that words do not correspond to reality. You can see this in the New Testament. You can see this in the Old Testament. You can see this with Peter in this text. Look at the text. Look at verse 16 again. 
Look at his emphasis here. Look at how urgent he is that you understand this vital truth. Listen to how he speaks. 2 Peter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths. We are not disciples, you remember, of cleverly devised myths. When we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. We saw Him. For when, we received on, when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this voice born from heaven. You see, the emphasis he has here is on his eyewitness account and the things that he himself heard, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Now, Peter's not the only one who emphasizes this. Paul also emphasizes this. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is laying down a, a summary, the essential gospel the basics. Look at how he puts this. You'll be surprised to find that he includes something that we sometimes leave out. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. That's Paul's way of saying, this is the essential gospel. You've received it. It's saving you. This is the word of life. But then we ask the question, well, what is it, Paul? What is this gospel? Verse 3, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. And then here he goes. Number one, there's about four things here. Number one, Christ died for our sins in in accordance with the Scriptures. That's the essential gospel. Number two, He was buried. Number three, he rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Number four, he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. A part of the essential gospel is the eyewitness testimony of Christ's resurrection. They have seen these things. They were there. They heard them. Now, we weren't there, but we have now the apostolic testimony that tells us more than 500 brothers saw Christ alive. This has always been essential to the gospel. It's been very important in church history, too. And we're not going to go down that trail. But Paul connects this idea to his apostleship, his qualifications as an apostle. Look with me at Galatians chapter 1. It's vital to Paul that you understand that the things that he is writing about, he has seen, he has experienced, he has encountered. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Paul uh, Paul didn't go to Sunday school to learn the gospel that he preaches. (laughs) I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. I saw him. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll talk more about this revelation that he received from Jesus Christ. But you see what he's doing there in Galatians. He's saying, look, I'm an apostle. The reason I'm an apostle is because I received the gospel not through preaching, I received it through a revelation, an unveiling. I saw Christ. I saw the resurrected, ascended Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Now you have to understand in 2 Corinthians, especially in chapter 12, as we get to chapter 12, Paul's been trying to argue for his apostleship because people are claiming that Paul's a false apostle. And they're trying to undermine the Corinthians' confidence in Paul's apostleship. So he says in chapter 12, verse 1, I must go on boasting. He must, he, what he means here in this particular context is I must go on laying down my credentials as an apostle. I must keep on talking about myself, which I don't want to do, but I have to do because of these people who are questioning my credentials. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. He calls them visions 
and revelations. Now, here in verse 2, he's talking about himself, but he's showing some humility here. But he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. When he says the third heaven, he means the throne room of God. He calls it paradise in the next verse. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows, and I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? What Paul is telling us here. He's saying he has seen things that he was not allowed to write about. Daniel has that same experience in the Old Testament. We see it here in Paul. John has this same experience in the book of Revelation. You can see this idea then of the importance of eyewitness testimony of the apostles. John. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. John sort of connects all these pieces together. He puts them together beautifully for us, in fact. 1 John chapter 1, first few verses. That which was from the beginning, he's talking about the gospel, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. You see how he's rooting his apostolic authority and the validity of the gospel in his experience of the true and the living Christ concerning the word of life. We have heard him, we have seen him, we have touched him. We were there with him in his resurrection. We were there, we saw him taken up to heaven. We've experienced Christ. Verse 2, the life was made manifest. He was revealed. He's talking about Christ. His life, His eternal life, we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, revealed to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us. You see the connection here. The only way what John is saying works is if we understand that words represent reality and that they're rooted in reality. That's the chain that I want you to see here. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that your joy may be complete. The living God has revealed Himself to us. And we saw Him, and we heard Him, and we saw things that we cannot utter even. And the things that we write to you are the things that we're allowed to utter that reveal to you the God who revealed Himself to us. And there's a connection between the words and the reality. The point John is making is that men had real encounters with the living God. The living God encountered them. And then they were moved by that same God to write down what they saw. So that through the Spirit, in the Word, the Word written and the written Word preached, we might encounter the living God. There's a chain, there's a connection. Word, reality. (laughs) Word, experience, reality. Now, many Christians have made the mistake then of saying that what's important in the Christian life is experience. And that's not at all what these men are saying, of course. But they are telling us that the living God, the one who is ultimate reality, the source of life and being, has spoken directly to apostles and prophets, and then by his own spirit directed those apostles and prophets to testify to what they saw. So that when we read the written word, we are reading the words of God. We are reading the revelation of God himself and the revelation of his will. And the things that they came to know and to understand and the transformation that they experienced in their experience comes to us through the written word. That's the point that Peter is making. And I took you through the whole chain because people oftentimes forget it. But then the point that I'm making to you is the reason we have trouble reading the Old Testament is because we swim in these waters where the Old Testament is severed from the reality that is speaking in the Old Testament. 
And we must remember, brothers and sisters, that the Old Testament is God revealing himself to us. He's, it's, 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 it's the eternal Son speaking through the testimony of the prophets, through Moses and through Isaiah and through the prophets, through David. And ultimate reality bears itself upon us through the written word in the power of his Holy Spirit. You can see this same thing in the Old Testament. The other reason, I, re, uh, reason why I had the text read that we read before the sermon began is because there in 2 Kings 17, prophets are called seers. Isaiah, when he names his book in the Old Testament, calls it the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos. He saw these things. He encountered the living God. Moses encountered the living God. He was with him on the mountain. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is the product of the revelation that Moses saw. It's an eyewitness testimony account of the truth. Joshua was with him on the mountain. Joshua wrote the book of Joshua. The book of Judges and Ruth and First and Second Samuel were written by Samuel and Gad and Nathan who were called seers. And it goes on from there. Isaiah, the vision, Ezekiel, the things that he saw. Jeremiah speaks about the word of the Lord, but he speaks about him as a person. The word of the Lord came to me saying, he saw Christ, he heard from Christ. The Old Testament is the word of the living God to you. It's a revelation of Almighty God to you and a revelation of his will. Our confession says the same thing. Confession chapter 1, paragraph 1, middle of the paragraph to the end. Some say that Peter is making the point here uh, that his eyewitness testimony is not as reliable or not as good as the Old Testament. And I know that there's some really good men who hold to that position. And I respect those men. But I also respectfully disagree with them. Because if that's the case, then what Peter is doing is he's pitting new apostolic eyewitness to Old Testament prophetic eyewitness. And we don't want to fall into that trap. The point that is being said here is that what is written is rooted in ultimate reality. God is ultimate reality. What is written represents real experiences, and those real experiences were experiences of Christ, the eternal Son of God. And they were given visions of the exalted, risen, and ascended Lord that's where we get think, passages like Psalm 16 and Psalm chapter 2 and so on. So sometimes it's hard for us to pay attention to the Old Testament because we fail to understand that it's a, it's a revelation under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of the living God to us through the things that are written. Well, similarly to this, the fourth reason we have trouble paying attention to the Old Testament is we forget and lose sight of what the Old Testament is really all about. And the Old Testament is really all about the resurrection, exaltation, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 1. After describing to us the glory of Christ's resurrection and the inheritance that is ours, and the idea that even our trials, although we're grieved by them, are the testing of our faith, and they're preparing us to rejoice with Christ with great joy, joy inexpressible and full of glory. But here's what he says then in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, concerning this salvation, concerning this glorious, wonderful message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and all that it has given us and does for us and all that it means for us. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. That means every, every word that they wrote was concerning this great subject your salvation, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Sometimes we have a hard time reading the Old Testament because we forget every jot and tittle of it is speaking to us of Christ, of His death and His resurrection, of His humiliation and His exaltation, of His descension and His Ascension. Luke chapter 24. Turn there with me. You're familiar with this passage. Luke 24, 25 through 27. 
And this will be one of the last passages that we, we turn to. I don't want to be definitive about that, but that's one of the last. Luke chapter 24, 25 through 27, reminds us that the whole Old Testament is speaking to us about Jesus Christ. In fact, this is Christ himself speaking to his disciples, some of his disciples. You remember the context here? Uh, there were the two disciples, and they were very discouraged. And they didn't know what to make of things because they had heard that Christ had been crucified and that he was buried. And they didn't know what to make of it all. They were really discouraged by this. They were upset by it. They were questioning what was going on. Had they put their trust in a false Messiah? And of course, you remember Jesus appears to them and they don't know that it's Jesus. And then he reveals himself to them. Luke 24, 25 through 27. And he said to them, O foolish ones, that's a gentle rebuke on Christ's part, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. If you had read the Old Testament, you would have known that that death couldn't hold me and that the grave couldn't be my victor. But notice how he puts it there. All that the prophets have spoken. Not a little bit. Not this one passage or that passage. The whole Old Testament was testifying to you that I was going to be crucified. That although I'm the Son of God, I'm the Son of Man. I was with the Ancient of Days from all eternity. And I was sent to this world to be a Messiah. That surely then death would not hold me. That I would surely rise from the dead. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? And the point that Jesus is making there is not necessarily that it was necessary that He suffered. The point that He's making is, is if I suffered like this, I'm the Son of God. If I suffer, I must win victory over suffering. That's His point. Why are you so discouraged is what He's saying to these guys. Don't you read the Scriptures? Don't you know that the message is of my exaltation, my resurrection, and my uh, ascension, my lordship? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And if you skip down to verse 44 to 49, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. He's thinking here of the Old Testament. And said to them, thus it is written. You see, he opens their mind and he says, now you see in all, every passage, every phrase, every word of the Old Testament, that it's written about me, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. You see what Jesus is saying. The message of the Old Testament is the message of the Son of God come to suffer, come to bring victory over death, to bring the message of repentance and forgiveness to the whole world. And to bring the promise of the Father, which is the promise of the Holy Spirit, to his people. This is the message of the Old Testament. Peter is saying, if you read the Old Testament, you'll see this. It will go well with you to pay attention to the Old Testament. Because it's speaking about these glories. It's speaking about this power. It's speaking about this message of the power and the coming and the majesty of our Christ. You know, John chapter 5, verse 45 through 47, that Jesus says there that Moses wrote about him. He's talking to the Pharisees and he rebukes them because they haven't put their faith in Christ. And his argument to them is that they failed to see that Moses was writing about Christ. And so Peter is making this argument to us. Some of the, one of the reasons why we have trouble paying attention to the Old Testament is that we fail to see what it's all about. It's about the, the, the power, the coming, and the majesty of Christ. It's about his resurrection, his exaltation, and his ascension. I have some notes here that I'm going to skip, <laughs> just for the sake of time. One of the reasons why we have trouble paying attention to the Old Testament is because we fail to see that it's a light in a dark place. That's what Peter tells us in this particular place. There's a lot that I have to leave out here. But this will be my last point under this heading. 
Peter says that the Old Testament is a light in a dark place. It's a light in a dark world. It's a light in our dark hearts. And it has the, the light and the power to show us the way in this world and to change us from within. And so Peter's encouraging us, pay attention to the Old Testament. Read those old prophets. Read Moses. Read the Psalms. Dedicate yourself to it. It will go well with you, he says. This is vital to Christian growth, to read the Old Testament. So he's told us we must pay attention to the Old Testament because it's essentially the message of Jesus Christ. He's told us to pay attention to the Old Testament indeed, and we've talked about some of the things that we need to think about when we read the Old Testament. It's about Christ. It's a revelation of God. God himself, by his Spirit, makes himself known there. Number three, we must pay attention to the Old Testament until. We must pay attention to the Old Testament until we are conformed to its image or to the image of the one that it's testifying to. Look at verse 19 again. Pay attention closely to his language. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. We have it fulfilled in Christ. And to which, he's referring to the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. We are being transformed into the image of the glory of our Savior. Until we are conformed to Christ's resurrection, exaltation, and ascension, we must pay attention to the Old Testament witness that testifies to these same things. And brothers, I do apologize to you, but as I've said to you, to be conformed to the image of Christ's resurrection is to be conformed to the image of His death. (laughs) But what a glory that is if we're in Christ. What a privilege that is. And what hope we have in it. That we must die like Christ died. But we must pay attention to the Old Testament until that day comes, until it's perfected in our hearts. Keep going. Keep paying attention, Paul is saying to us. Peter is saying to us. He's exhorting us and encouraging us. We must persevere in paying attention to the Old Testament text until we're conformed to the image of His exaltation. And yes... To be conformed to his exaltation means to be conformed to his humiliation, where he put off his outer garments and washed his disciples' feet. So as an example to them, to their encouragement and their service, and to help them to understand what the cross really meant and what it was all about. And we must keep paying attention to the Old Testament until we are conformed to the image of Christ's ascension. And to be conformed to Christ's ascension is to be conformed to the image of his descension where he bore in his body the afflictions and the sorrows and the hardships out of love for his Father so that he might learn obedience to the things that he suffered. And we're being conformed to that same image. But Peter then is encouraging us to keep paying attention to those Old Testament prophecies as they speak to us Christ, as they enlighten and illumine us in light of the New Testament, of the depths and the riches of the Christ that we have served, and to continue in it and to persevere in it until the day dawn rises into our hearts, till we are perfectly conformed to it. And of course, the hope that this all lies upon is that we are being conformed in the power of God's word and not man's word. Look at what he says in verse 20 to 21, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Moses was not writing out of his own agenda. Moses was not writing a polemic to the people of his day He wasn't writing in response to or some kind of alternative form of covenants of the the Egyptians or the Egyptian ethics or laws. And there's many people who would say all of those kinds of things. Moses did not write according to his own will, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. None of the Old Testament was produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Brothers, this gives us confidence. The word that we pay attention to is not man's word. It's God's word. And it reveals God to us. And it has the power to transform us into the image of God. To the image of a resurrected Christ. And so Peter is commanding us to pay attention to the Old Testament prophecies. Which promise the final destruction of sin. And the overthrow of condemnation to those who trust in Christ and the everlasting glory of a pure heart. If you're here today and you're in Christ Jesus, the application of the things that we have said, of course, is that you must pay attention to the Old Testament 
It's the power of God to salvation for you. It's essential to your growth in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ to pay attention to the Old Testament and the Old Testament prophets. God promises it will go well with you if you do. It will show you more and more of Jesus Christ. You will see him in ways that you cannot see him in the New Testament, although you can't see it without the New Testament. And that's the mystery of the way the scriptures work together. If you're here today and you're outside of Christ, the message that you, for you today is that you need to have a real encounter with the living God through Jesus Christ. And the only way that you can have a living and a real encounter with the living and the real God is through the Scriptures. No one comes to the Father except through Christ. No one comes to Christ except through the written testimony of the prophets and apostles. But here's your problem is that you are so sinful and you are so depraved, even if you go to the Scriptures, like Jesus said to the Pharisees in John chapter 5, He says, even you go to the Scriptures and you don't see Me in them because they testify about Me. If you're here and you're outside of Christ, your problem is that you are blind and you are deaf and you are dumb. You are spiritually dead. And even if you were to go to the Scriptures, you wouldn't see God. And you wouldn't know Him and you wouldn't understand Him. Only in Christ can you see God in the Scriptures. But here's Christ's promise to you today. He is not deaf. He is not blind. He is not dumb. He's the resurrected Lord. He sits at the Father's right hand. He sees you and He knows you. And He promises if you call upon His name, He will save you. He will give you eyes to see. He will give you a heart to understand. And your eyes will be opened and you will see in the Old Testament prophets the glory of your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Savior of sinners. Merciful and gracious he opens the eyes of the blind so cry out to the lord today that he would give you his holy spirit and he would open your eyes to the word concerning himself out of the old testament